And now, deep thoughts. Listening to the Deep Thoughts Podcast, where we explore one aspect of the Christian faith a little more deeply. I'm your host, Matt Schantz. In this episode, I'm joined by Pat Sabell, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He joins me for a conversation on liturgy, exploring what it is, how it affects all of our lives, whether we realize it or not, and what a thoughtful liturgy in our church services can look like. Pat is married is the father of eight kids and has three grandkids. He has pastored and led worship for the past 30 years, has written songs featured on Sovereign Grace albums, and he wrote C2C Music's Revive Us Again album with two of his sons, and it is great. He also co-hosts the Worship God podcast for the Gospel Coalition Canada, and links to all of these, by the way, are available in the show notes. Pat and Norm Funk, who I interviewed earlier in the season, are in the process of replanting Culloden MB Church as Midtown Church in Vancouver in January 2021. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. All right, I'm here with Pat Sabell. Hey. Thanks for joining my podcast. Ah, glad to be here, man. I just got to tell you a quick, uh, like a meaningful story uh, off the bat. Um, this past Sunday, we're recording this in mid-October. This past Sunday, we took communion together in our in-person gatherings for the first time at church since February. Oh, man. And uh, the song we sang right after we took communion together and put our masks back on was Jesus, Thank You. Oh. It was a song you wrote, and it was one of the most powerful just moments hmm. uh, in a church gathering I've had in, in well, in a long time. Hmm. So thank you for uh, for songs like that. We sing your song "Revive Us Again" here at, at, at Central, the church I pastor as well. Um, but I'd just love love for our listeners to get a little bit uh, more knowledge about you. Can you maybe fill us in a little bit about your faith journey and becoming a worship leader and songwriter and essentially. Uh, a, a trainer of worship leaders around mm. North America. <clears throat> yeah, well, I uh, I grew up in a uh, Christian home. My my dad passed away when I was a year old. My mom mm. uh, did a great job of of early years teaching us to sing. I remember she played the accordion, and we would uh, sit around being three, four years old, five years old, teaching me harmony parts and. Uh, yeah, so singing and playing music was a gift that God had seemed to, to give hmm. many in my family early on. Um, age 13, had a radical conversion with Met Jesus in an amazing way, way up in a place called Topley, BC, which was uh, middle of Prince Rupert and Prince George, somewhere dead in the middle there. I didn't know uh, good things could happen there. Yeah, population 150 people, so it was a big town. Wow. Met Jesus, uh, felt called to the ministry then, uh, and then in a series of events, went, went in the car business, managed car dealerships, and then got a call out of nowhere to go to Ontario and, and became a, a pastor at a church there. 
Um, and that, that began my journey. Planted a church uh, 22 years ago, was there for 20, 20 years, and then we merged it a couple years ago with Crossridge, a church in Cloverdale. Um, yeah, my, my passion is, uh, has always been uh, to, to make Jesus known and to when we gather as a church to, to love Jesus deeply, to, to be believable. Not only when we gather, but when we scatter. Mm. Um, and so, uh, pastoral ministry has been a pure joy, and and serving serving Jesus. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> earlier in this season, we've had uh, Norm Funk on to talk about planting churches and replanting churches. Right. And you two are working together right now on a replant of uh, what was formerly Culloden Church in Vancouver and will be Midtown Church. Yeah. Can you just tell, uh, tell us just a quick bit about uh, what's going on in those stages of it right now? Yeah. Well, we're, we did, uh, we're beginning this Sunday pre-launch gathering, so we're doing afternoon gatherings and people that would want to come and check us out and see what it's all about um and then in in january we will we will launch the church in a pandemic <laughs> exciting times hey if it works right yeah yeah that's that's the lord's doing because yeah. that doesn't make sense <laughs> right i love it and uh i'm so so glad to see that happening love you both and Appreciate your ministry. In our conversation uh, today, we're talking about liturgy. Hmm. Um, and so we're going to use that term probably a uh, hundred times for, uh, in the rest of our conversation. So maybe would you just help us uh, understand what, what we mean by uh, by liturgy? Sure. Uh, we definitely all have one, no hmm. matter what type of church you are. The word liturgy comes from two Greek words, meaning public work or described as the work of the people. Um, so Brian Chapel says in his book Christ-Centered Worship, the biblical word for all that's included in our worship is liturgy. Um, it simply describes the public way a church honors God in times of gathered praise, prayer, instruction, and commitment. Hmm. And so when we say liturgy, that's that's usually what we're talking about. Just the order of service or um, the, the work of the people. It's it's the way we we honor God in our times that we gather together. Hmm. In some circles, probably to hear the word liturgy, you know, they think of words like liturgy and catechism. These words that maybe they would relate to. Uh, maybe they have experience with, and they think of dead orthodoxy in, yeah. in, in scenarios like that. Um, what would your word to them be? Like, why should we use a word like liturgy? Uh, why does it matter? Uh, yeah. What would you say to those who, who, who shiver a little bit when they hear us talk about it? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think if you want to use order of service and don't like the word liturgy, I, I think it's not necessarily the word you're using as much as it is the content of mm. what we're trying to accomplish when we get gather, uh, when God's people gather. So when we use, you know, liturgy or gospel-shaped liturgy, we're, we're, we're using that to just say it, it matters what, what we're doing, um, and there needs to be real intentionality. Often there can be intentionality with the preacher. The preacher, you know, sets aside 15 hours a week to prepare for a sermon. But often there's in, in churches, many churches, there's, you know, the worship leaders picking his five favorite songs the night before. And mm. there's a, you know, 40 minute rehearsal and we're throwing the first 30 minutes of the gathering together 
with very little intentionality, and the preacher has way more intentionality, hopefully. <laughs> um, but what we're saying is the entire gathering matters, and mm. there should be intentionality from the minute we begin till the time we conclude. So you said a little earlier, you said we all have a liturgy, like every, every church has a liturgy. It's not that some are liturgical and others aren't so much as, as uh, it's more of a question of whether or not it's very thoughtful, like you're talking about, throwing right. a set together and that kind of stuff. So um, can you flesh out in your mind, maybe what, in you, from your perspective, what constitutes a, a bad liturgy this <laughs> well i think it can be like can be a reaction to a reaction to you know the word liturgy or to the past like all, like there's something fresh and new and real and we don't really need to learn from the past so it can be we need more freedom and spontaneity and we never want empty repetition or we want the spirit to move where he moves and we don't want to be limited or stuck by anything. And so I think there can be this old and new kind of idea and anything old is is old and we're not interested. And so therefore what what God's doing in the church now is better and it's and it's uh you know it's faster, it's smarter, it's wiser, and and so I, th I think there's a danger sometimes in just not <clears throat> not looking back and and being um, amazed at at church history and the way that God has has led the church down through the ages, and thinking the danger is if we think in our liturgy we we have something better that we really don't need to learn from them, so. I think I think modern day liturgies, uh, we we could be just like gravitating to everything fresh and everything new, and not mm. realizing that there's some beautiful things mm. that we really need to take hold of uh, that's happened in the church down through the ages. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my first experiences of, of serving in the church were really music-related as well. And, and and so, you know, looking back on some of what I've come to appreciate about a, a rich liturgy, I kind of, I shudder myself looking at how I used to arrange services with, uh, start with a fast song, yeah, then do more of a mid-tempo song, yeah, then a slower reflective song. And if you're really thoughtful about it, it, it ties into what the preacher's going to do next. Yeah. And then yeah. you have that response song, which is also pretty reflective. Sure. But then you want to leave with energy, so you you have another fast song. Yeah, hear that all the time. I mean, I think that's <laughs> I think that's still very typical. I think know, in I the hear, evangelical circles, that hear, is probably the norm. And I hear a lot of lead pastors like saying, "We, you know, we want to make sure that we're." We're revving it up pretty good at the beginning, people coming through the door. And I think there's just like a, a lack of theological understanding of maybe of the gathering and why we do what we do mm -hmm. sometimes there. Because it isn't about two songs, or, uh, too fast, one medium, too slow. And the goal is to somehow bring people into the Holy of Holies, as, as some people teach. Right. Uh, Jesus has forever done that for us. And so, <laughs> from from the first song and long before the first song, we were brought in. <laughs> That's great. Sometimes our hearts are disengaged, and sometimes we feel like we've wandered, but He's never wandered, and yep. He... He's the one who's in, has invited us in once and for all. Mm -hmm. um, maybe to, to press this too much, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I, I one of the things where I've 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 discovered and and even uh, 
being in worship settings where you've led Pat and where uh, the worship pastor at Central Tyson has led, there's this thoughtful liturgy. Um, I uh, one of the things that that I I notice now that that bothers me a bit is this idea of kind of that impromptu worship leader speech at the beginning of a service where it's, hey, if you want to stand or if you want to sit, if you want to kneel, if you want to lay down, if you want to raise your hands, like, right. we're Mennonites, nobody's laying down. Like, <laughs> should we even include that in the in this anymore? Um, and so, it's just sort of like, that, that goes with what you were saying about this idea of new is better. Yeah. And not reflecting on the past and uh, pressing forward. This idea that off the cuff, you know, I'm, I'm going to say some stuff and it's going to be more meaningful than a call to worship that's rooted in um, theology and history right. and, and has been used many times yeah. in the Christian tradition. And I just think it's such a odd trade out that yeah. we would think that me not giving thought to what I'll say at the beginning of the service, but saying it on the fly is going to be somehow more right. rich yeah. than well, leaning on I think giants. There's a, there's a whole camp, I think, that thinks that's more being more spirit-led. What would you, what would you say to that? <laughs> uh, I would say, um, you know, I, I would consider myself a charismatic. Uh, I, With uh, or without seatbelts? Uh, I, I probably wear a seatbelt yeah, now. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I think, you know, the, the more, the older I get, um, I realize that Jesus, the spirit can speak to me on Tuesday when I'm in my office and I'm thinking through uh, what, what I need to script and write some of the best prayers I've heard people pray in the last couple years in my church were scripted prayers. I asked them to think and pray and to set aside some time. And when they got up with the paper in their hand and they read that prayer, it was it was powerful. And so, don't don't underestimate. <laughs> Sometimes that spontaneity, um, you know, it just sounds like you're putting your foot in your mouth and you're saying things that people are going, "What? What is he even trying to say? Or what is she trying to say?" Yeah. But when you when you articulate and and wait on God and you think intentionally about what you want to say and pray and you got scriptures that you can put in there, it's it can be powerful. Um, what have you discovered from from the rich Christian tradition uh, when it comes to liturgy that, that you've incorporated into worship services? Things that you've come across or that you implement and you're like, oh, this is this has that that depth that uh, or, or or whatever. Um, I, we 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 were at a conference together and uh, you were the primary speaker. I think I spoke <laughs> once at it and you gave this incredible. Uh, illustration about inheriting an old house. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first, let me let me say this. Andrew Wilson says this: a set order of worship is more or less inevitable, and therefore makes sense to ensure that ours is as spiritual and biblical as possible. And hmm. I would add, as gospel centered. Hmm. He says liturgy is not merely neutral but positive. It's not just inevitable, but powerful. It can train us, shape our habits, and reorient our desires. So, in other words, worship, what we do on Sunday is formative. Mm -hmm. It's forming things. Um, So, whether we think about it or not, our worship services, our, our, our order of worship, our liturgy is always communicating something, and it's always shaping the lives of those that we serve each week. So, when we think about 
you know, the well-worn paths of the holy Catholic Church, the, the, the universal church. I'm not speaking of the Catholic Church, <laughs> but the universal church for all time. Yeah. If, we, if we look back and we learn from them as if, you know, we're not thinking we, they got it all wrong, we got it all right. But no, there's some beautiful things that we need to learn and we need to take from them, then I think <clears throat> I think we're we're putting ourselves in a great place. The the illustration that you're talking about was um, you know, imagine inheriting a house uh, and it was your great great grandparents or something, and um, you know you you start to move into this house and you're you're setting up your IKEA furniture, you know that lovely stuff that we so enjoy putting together. <laughs> um, as you're putting up, where's the, the Allen key? Yeah, as you're putting these these pieces together, you know it's going to last you at least a year, maybe two. <laughs> You know, and then and then you go downstairs to find another wrench or something, and lo and behold, there's this door that you didn't even know was in the basement, and you you go into this door and you start going down these stairs, and it's taking me, you know, underneath the house into this. You're like, what in the world did my great grandparent have? And, and you know, what what is this? And you're going into these rooms, and you're you're uncovering these these big pieces of furniture that have been covered over and protected and, and here they are they're they're like made of you know the most beautiful types of wood and they're they're just gorgeous and you're thinking I'm upstairs trying to set up this IKEA table that's probably not going to make it five years and here's this you know this dining room table and so you you bring this thing out of this this you know way down and you put, you bring it up into the house and you're like are you kidding me you know it, it might be you have a you know, it you know it's it's worn it's it's a little uh, old and maybe faded a bit it could use a bit of touch up but in in the sense that piece of furniture is far more valuable than your IKEA furniture and I I think that illustrates in a small way, you know, what what the the church down through the ages. There, there's just some great, well-worn paths that that we need to learn from. You know, the the things like the. Uh, uh, I was in a church helping train a worship guy <clears throat> for six months, um, about a year and a half ago, and every Sunday they they confess their faith. And I love it. They do the Apostles' Creed one Sunday and the Nicene Creed the next Sunday. They rotate them, hmm. and they they say it. This someone will get up and say it. This time we're going to confess our faith. If this is not your faith, we would ask you to remain seated. But if if this is your faith, would you stand and boldly proclaim? The, this faith that down through the ages, you know, Christians all around the globe have, have professed. Wow. And to hear the whole church says, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. And and just, to, you know, I, I think many in our church would not even know what the Apostles' Creed is. Mm-hmm. And yet that was a, a statement that we were professing every week as a church and saying, this is who we believe in. This is who we are as the church. This is what Jesus has done for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think, you know, we need to, we need to take those things that have, that are there and passed down through the ages and, 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 and want to embrace them and bring them into our churches. I think. Mm, I love that. Um, so, so f- flesh out for us, maybe what, 
with with all of this in mind and and trying to have a thoughtful, rich, historic kind of liturgy, um, what that what that looks like in a service uh, that you would typically lead. And I've heard you say this before, that you uh, try and tell the story of of the Bible, the gospel story in every mm-hmm. service. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and some people just walking in and participating in the service may not connect all those dots every time. Right. But there's a shape to your the liturgy that you're trying to form. Yeah. Can you just explain what that is? And Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think... I think um, you know, systematically, thoughtfully unpacking the gospel story. That's how I think through our Sunday gatherings. And, and we do that with the songs we sing. We do it with the scriptures we use. We do it with creeds, with confessions. Um, there's just some really good stuff out there. A, a, a book that it would, is very helpful when it comes to stuff like this is, um, is Worship Source Book. And if if anyone's listening and and isn't familiar with Worship Sourcebook, there's just so many good materials there. But we're talking about, you know, unpacking the gospel. The gospel is is um, is in its simplest form that God is holy, that we are sinners, that Jesus saves us from our sins, and Jesus sends us. Um, and 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 what, why unpack the gospel every Sunday? Um, because the gospel is something that we are prone to forget. Hmm. Um, you know, one, one man, I think it was Sinclair Ferguson, said that we're always tr- trying to smuggle our character into his work of grace. And wow. so people people are coming on Sunday, and they're you know they're they're coming into the gathering far more aware of the fact that they haven't measured up. Mm. That, you know, we've missed the mark again. We haven't done what we ought to be doing. We haven't loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, maybe maybe yelling at their spouse on the way to church or snapping at their kids, walking into the gathering. So the need is to, you know, to lift the eyes of those people to yeah. let's let's focus on Jesus. Let's Amen. focus on the gospel, the good news yeah. of the gospel. So if the gospel is not on full display in a service like that, where we come in with that posture and that reality, right? We're perpetuating that as opposed to giving them the medicine, right? Yeah, that's good. Many people, you know, they say, "Well, the pastor is going to preach the gospel," but. That means they had to spend, you know, 20 or 30 minutes in the front feeling <laughs> feeling hopeless. Uh, I, I want to, I always talk about spreading a banquet feast of mm. Christ where my people come in and they've been belly button gazing there, you know, with every 10 looks at themselves, they might be taking one look at Christ. I want to say... Can you see him? Can you see how big he is? How worthy he is? And can you know? Sh- should that not do something? Should that not move you to to want to say, "I want to walk and live in a manner worthy of the gospel"? So, mm. um, you know, without the gospel, Brian Chapel says, "Without assurance of grace, we despair in our sin. Without reminder of grace, we depend on our own strength. Without rejoicing in grace, we presume the merit." of our performance, unless we communicate the gospel, the frame and focus of our worship, our ceremonies possess only a form of godliness without the power of God. So, you know, in a, in a day and age where um, 
we're always thinking of how do we do church? How do we do the gathering? Should we theme it? You know, all this theme stuff, making sure that we, we stay consistent with the series and all this stuff. I say, boy, when you when you do a gospel liturgy and that is the overarching way you build the gathering, um, it's super freeing hmm. to just say, hey, we're going to proclaim the gospel from the minute we gather till the time we scatter. So it's very simple. God is holy. We begin with God. Every gathering must begin with God. Yes. And God is the great initiator. God is the one who calls us. So when we think about a call to worship, a call to worship is not the, the worship leader saying, come on, we've gathered and I need you to sing and I want you to join in. We need to hear the voice of the Lord when we gather and, and to be reminded that, hey, you that are here this morning, in your seats, you're here because God initiated. Mm -hmm. God is the one who calls you to worship. So we hear that, yep. and then we respond. Is that typically in a song that magnifies uh, It can be done God. in various ways. Yeah. I, th I think mine typically would be scriptures. I would read a scripture hmm. reminding them that, you know, that the Lord is the one who calls us to worship. Where um, he's the point. Where he's the point, yeah. Not a, not a song where we're the point, or yeah. <laughs> there's a little bit of God, but he's the point of the text uh, or the song um, that his holiness, his character, right, is magnified. Yeah, yeah, good. And then sing songs of, if if God is a great initiator, he reveals himself. You know, you think of the Isaiah text, mm -hmm. Isaiah in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Why why did he see the Lord? Because the Lord initiated. Right, and then he reveals himself to Isaiah. So, we sing songs of 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 God, specifically big view of God songs with big view. Oh. I think we don't have enough of those songs. I think we we need more songs where God is not a means to an end, but He's the end, and Amen. everything about our singing is is looking at Him and beholding Him and saying, "Wow." <laughs> That's what we need. We need more wow uh, in our, the early portions of our gatherings where people see God for who he is. Um, I was thinking of the one of my favorite quotes of A.W. Tozer where he said, A decline of the knowledge of the holy has brought on our troubles. Hmm. A rediscovery of the majesty of God will go a long ways towards curing them. So we need we need this rediscovery of, of majesty of God. It's impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. And he said, if we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. So the worship guy gets this job of intentionally helping the church see God more nearly as he is. Mm -hmm. You know that's the that's the role of the pastor and his preaching. That's the role of the worship leader as well. So we see God. We see Him through scriptures, through through songs, and when we see Him, you know it's it's the Isaiah six. What did Isaiah do when he seen Him? He said, "Woe is me." So that's the the portion of our gathering where we say uh, we're sinners. I'm I'm a sinner now. 
you know, um, William Dryerness says confession of sin, uh, and a, a corporate confession of sin is a healthy orientation to reality. <clears throat> when we do a corporate confession of sin, what we're acknowledging in our church is the world is not the way it was meant to be. Hmm. We as a church are not the way we were meant to be, and I am not the way I was meant to be. Uh, sin's invasion into our world, into our hearts, has corrupted us all, and apart from the mercy of God, we're without hope. So the con call to confession is is a word of grace, like the assurance of pardon. Um, grace is all the more beautiful, Brian Chapel says, when we face the ugliness of our sin. So I, I think sometimes you you hear people say, well, you know, aren't, aren't we saints, and what what are we doing confessing our sin in a mm -hmm. corporate gathering? Mm -hmm. And and I think it's I love that. That thought of um, Brian Chapler says we don't confess our wretchedness to wallow in self-pity or to merit divine mercy. We confess our destitution so that our hearts will be enraptured anew and motivated afresh by the riches of His grace. And so, um, it's it's just this recognition, beholding Him and saying, "Oh Lord, You are glorious, and I have not lived up." at all mm -hmm. but but I won't stay there mm -hmm. you know Isaiah didn't stay there he said woe is me and immediately there's this seraph that comes and places a coal on his lips right yeah. and so um, we don't stay there that's why we have out of the corporate confession we have assurance of pardon where this is the this is one of my most favorite times of, of our gathering where we we get to remind God's people that guess what he is great and glorious and he he should have it, he should have made us drink that cup of wrath but instead he drank it for us mm. um, you know he's the one who has forgiven all your sins past present future and he is the one who is worthy of your life to be worshiped and adored and so we we, we we and I think this should be the most celebrative part of a of a, of a gathering <laughs> that around the assurance of pardon, uh, sing songs, um, you know, read portions of catechism, um, you know, encourage the church that though your sins were, you know, in, in abundance, they've all been taken, they've all been removed and cast into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered anymore. I think this is a time where the church should hoot and holler and get loud. Uh, rejoice in, in that reality. Yeah. So, and I think then, you know, there's there's thanksgiving, there's hearing the preached word, the Lord's Supper, um, and then in the end, we're, we're, we're being sent out um, with a benediction, with God's blessing over us to, we, we've gathered, we've gathered around the gospel, we've remembered the good news of the gospel that we've, we so quickly forget. And then we're, we scatter to go out into our places of work, sent by the Spirit uh, to, to love the gospel and live the gospel. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Uh, yeah, and I love that. And I've, uh, I've been a part of uh, services where you've led us through that, and they are so rich. And we go back to that idea that, that, um, that a liturgy is, it, it can be, you, everybody has one. Yeah. It can be good or, or bad. It can be well thought through or last minute thrown together. Uh, 
we were talking before the recording of this about uh, James K. Smith's book, You Are What You Love, and he takes the idea, uh, really, that liturgy is formative, uh, and everybody has one. So, so our corporate gatherings have a liturgy, and our lives, in many ways, do as well. It's just whether or not those are what they're forming us into. Yeah. And so, when we have a pattern like the one you just described in our worship gatherings, and that's formative in our corporate life and our personal life, that, that we rehearse the gospel, we see it unfold, we live into it, we praise God for it. Um, that's really formative in our faith. Um, can you talk a little bit more just about uh, like how how can liturgy, this idea kind of along the lines of what uh, uh, Smith says in You Are What You Love, like um, maybe in, in a more personal way beyond that large gathering, uh, a weekend gathering for the church, um, how liturgy can be formative in our lives. Mm. <clears throat> well, I, you know, I think I think that does that tap into church di- or uh, spiritual disciplines or what is it? Yeah, I, I mean, the the one of the one of my favorite uh, a book by Mike Cosper called Rhythms of Grace. Um, you know, he talks about when we plan or order our services, discerning the content to include, we shape the beliefs and devotional lives of our church members. Um, he, he says it's a crazy pastoral opportunity. If you think about it, when else do you have the opportunity to put words into people's mouths? I think in some ways, you know, um, we don't know what's what's going to come tomorrow. You know, there we might hear news that comes through the church office that oh, you know, this sister was just diagnosed with stage four cancer. This brother's going through, you know, a real difficult time at work, and he just got fired, lost his job, whatever. Um, and and I want to be formative in the way of um, providing the right. Uh, I, I want to provide the gospel and the hope of the gospel um, to people that are going to hear that news. So if I'm if I'm shaping the beliefs of my people that are sitting in my church, and you know Janet finds out on Wednesday that she has stage four cancer, um, I want her to know clearly that. Although the world is not as it should be, that we are not as we should be, that we have not loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have a great Savior, a great high priest who has once and for all dealt with my sin. And and I am loved, I think as J.I. Packer says, I'm loved no less than the one he calls his beloved son. Mm. So I am the Father has looks at me, and He fully loves me. And so, therefore, even this stage for cancer, in His love and in His kindness, He is He's allowing for some reason that I can't comprehend. Um, so, if I can inform people's devotional lives in a way that when they start to, you know, think of like the corporate confession of sin, I find that I I do this from tucking my kids in bed. And and I will, we will we will have a confession. I'll I'll say, you know, Father, today we we had bad attitudes. Dad had a bad attitude. Uh, today, uh, um, when we were going going to school, and and Kai 
got upset at mom and we we didn't love you we didn't love one another we didn't love our neighbor as ourselves today would you forgive us and thank you that you have forgiven us and in your mercy you you love us and in spite of the fact that i didn't do that that i had a bad attitude today you never stopped loving me you never changed and so i feel like a lot from the sunday gathering and how i think about the gospel is filtering in and it, it's transforming my my the way i parent the way i love my wife uh the way i do my job the gospel is is to shape everything about us and so we want to help at least when we get people to our gatherings on sunday let's make sure that we are proclaiming the gospel in a way that's shaping people's lives oh that's so rich this uh i got one last question for you and it's a grab bag question it's sort of a any any other kind of thoughts that you have on this subject kind of question. So is there anything you really would want churches, pastors, uh, worship leaders, aspiring worship leaders, parishioners to really hear on liturgy that maybe we haven't touched on yet? Oh, man. I I feel like, uh, you know, some of my concern over the the last many years is that church has become, uh, it's very professional. It's, it's, you know, it takes a lot to run a church. There's a lot of stuff that that goes on, and sometimes, you know, and we need to do all that. But I think often we lose sight of of Jesus. We lose sight of His mission. Like that's that's this is what it's all about. Um, and so I, you know. You know, the old Matt Redmond song, I'm coming back to a heart of worship when the music fades and all is stripped away. And I simply come. Uh, there's a sense where, uh, you know, the, the, the gospel is, is about a person. It's about Jesus. And so liturgy, if it's just... You know, we're we're gonna get everything right, and we want we want to have all this. We want to have it scripted. And we want to have a great liturgy. If that's what it about, what's it about? What it's about? It will be just that. It'll be a great liturgy. But if that liturgy points me to Jesus, it points me to Christ. Um, I think there's a big difference. I've heard some people say, "Oh, you know, that dead formalism, that empty formalism, that you know, that that stuff just drives me crazy." Um, but I think if we're thinking through our gatherings in a way that says, "Is Christ at the center? Is Jesus the one that is clearly portrayed?" And are we creating a feast for those? Because Jesus said, if we, he said, I'm the bread of life. Come to me if you're thirsty. You know, we want people coming to Jesus. That's what we want. And so if we, you know, I would say, if you're thinking about planning your gathering, um, let, let it, let it, let it, your liturgy um, be, you know, scripted, but let it be scripted by by the Spirit's work in your own life and let it be something that 
people uh, are can can take note quickly that that you've been with Jesus and that you desire that people would encounter Jesus through this liturgy. So this gospel liturgy is, is I would say, is a vehicle. It's a means for people to encounter Jesus. And if they're not encountering Jesus by doing all the things right, and yet, then we've missed it. Oh, that's good stuff. Pat, I'm so thankful that you uh, are training worship leaders and helping churches uh, think through some of these things. You're on a podcast. Uh, You do a podcast. What is it called? Yeah, Worship God uh, with TGC Canada. Yeah, we've done, I think, two or three. Just started up. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you mentioned a book earlier that was kind of... uh, a great resource on this or had a lot of good resources yeah any others come to mind rhythms of grace by mike cosper Mm -hmm. is a great read um you are what you love by james k smith Uh, christ-centered worship by brian chapel he's it's a it's a bit of a tougher book but um halfway through it 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 unpacks these these areas pretty well and I, i think a book that's really impacted me recently by Andrew Wilson called Spirit and Sacrament Mm -hmm. uh, where he's basically saying we shouldn't have just the new or the old we should mingle the new and the old together Uh, which is a really good book so which is great this episode has not been brought to you by Ikea (laughs) no no please thanks so much Pat you're welcome appreciate it yeah thanks If you know anyone involved in putting worship services together, I invite you to pass this episode along to them. Pat is such a great resource to churches in helping us think through meaningful liturgy that glorifies God by telling the gospel story week in and week out. In next week's episode, I get former president and CEO of Compassion Canada, Barry Slawenwhite, on the line to talk about poverty in the gospel, strategic compassion, and how you can shine a little light on some of the poorest and most vulnerable children and families on the planet this Christmas. Talk to you then. Very deep. Thank you.